Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Dorenda Wilson Podcast. I'm Dorenda, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to 10, and 30-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of three soon-to-be-four books, The Unhurried Homeschooler, The Four-Hour School Day, and Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart. My new book coming out March 5th is called Raising Boys to Men, a simple, mercifully short book on raising and homeschooling boys. You can find all three of my books at Amazon. You can also find them at DorendaWilson.com. And when my new book comes out, you will find those in the same places. So I'm also hoping to have the audio version of Raising Boys to Men available at the same time. We are actually in a little bit of a... Oh, a dilemma trying to figure out how to deliver that to you. Um, if we do this through Audible, they literally take 70% of the proceeds. And so we would rather do something that's hosted from our website, but we're still figuring out exactly how to do that. If you have any uh, computer gurus out there who can help us with that, we would love to know about that. So just email me. Um, you can just email me directly at Dorenda Lee at gmail.com. Also, if you want to keep up with all that's going on with the new book, I'm doing a bunch of freebies and giveaways, t-shirts, books, all kinds of stuff between now and the launch date. I would encourage you to subscribe to my email list. I've been sending out an encouraging email every week and information on what's going on with the book and what's going on at the podcast. Um, But if you do that, you can have free access to Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart devotional. So that's a a brand new offer that we've been making. And I hope that you'll join us on the email list because we would love to have you as a subscriber. Now, also, if you've got teens, be sure to listen today uh, past the prayer at the end of this episode because I've got an amazing opportunity for young adults. When it comes to math, you may be looking for a new math curriculum. CTC Math specializes in providing online video tutorials that make uh, or take a multi-sensory approach to learning. Creative graphics and animations synchronized with the friendly voice of internationally acclaimed teacher Pat Murray makes learning math easy and effective. CTC is also favorably reviewed by Kathy Duffy's 103 Top Picks and the Old Schoolhouse Crew Review. The lessons are short and concise to help your child break down concepts and appreciate math in a whole new way. Visit ctcmath.com today to start your free trial at ctcmath.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. So today we're gonna be talking about a book that impacted my life the most as a homeschooling mom. And after walking out what I learned from this book, it eventually led me to writing my first book, The Unhurried Homeschooler. So before we dive into this, I wanna share a great resource with you that protects homeschoolers from CPS. We had an experience with CPS a year and a half ago. I'll include a link to that story in the show notes. But legal encounters with Child Protective Services are not just limited to school-age children or toddlers. My own family situation in 2022 actually involved a newborn who ended up in the hospital. Laws regarding newborn health procedure and medical opinions can sometimes clash with parental rights. 
Heritage Defense has represented many Christian homeschool families in these kinds of situations. So if you intend to homeschool, but only have very young children or even just expecting your first, I encourage you to sign up with Heritage Defense. Membership benefits include 24-7 hotline to a Christian attorney, full legal representation from initial contact all the way to court if needed, and legal consultations at no additional cost. All of this for only $19 a month or $190 for the year. You can learn more in the show notes and be sure to share this with any young parents who might benefit from membership. Okay, so over the years, I have read many, many books, but there are less than 10 that have impacted me the most and that I can say were defining books for me. Now, I told you that during 2024, I would periodically share each of those books on the podcast. And so today I'm sharing the book that impacted me the most when it comes to homeschooling. The book is called Better Late Than Early. This book was written, I believe, in the 70s. Um, I'll actually have to look inside the book to see, 1975, okay? So you're probably wondering how in the world could this even be applicable now, but oh, trust me, nothing has changed. When it comes to children, their development is the same. We live in a different culture that changes expectations, but children are the same. And so that's what I love about this book, but I'm gonna give you a little bit of the backstory. So when I was a teenager, I met my first homeschooling family. So this is back in like 1986. And I remember just how much I loved these kids. They were were hysterical. They were funny. They were critical thinkers. They were super social. Gosh, imagine that, right? They could talk to anybody. And so my first, you know, impact of or impression of a homeschooling family was fantastic. And so as I got to know this family and I, and I heard about homeschooling and what it was, it's like something clicked inside of me and I wanted more than anything to homeschool my own kids whenever I had them, these kids I hadn't even had yet. And the interesting thing is I, it's not like I had a terrible public school experience. I did not. I actually had a really good mostly public school, some private school, but I could see where the direction of the school system was going and it was going pretty quickly. And by the time I graduated from high school, I was like, you know what? I don't think I really want my kids to do this. I think there's a better way, just something better. And so I kind of decided at that moment that that's what I wanted to do. And then when I met my husband a few years later and shared with him as we talked about our future together and all of that, that I wanted to homeschool, he was completely on board. Praise the Lord for that. He had a brother who had started homeschooling. His wife had started homeschooling their kids. They had a little guy who was in first grade and very, very, very high energy. And of course he was struggling like crazy in the classroom. And so she took him home and homeschooled him and homeschooled the other two kids as well that came after him. So fortunately, my husband had been exposed to homeschooling, had a good experience with it. And so we both decided, yes, this is definitely what we want to do. And so the interesting thing is before I even met him, I was at a yard sale somewhere I loved to go yard sailing. And I ran across this book called Better Late Than Early. And it 
really struck my attention. And I thought, you know what? It's like a quarter at a yard sale. Why not? I should I should just grab this book. So I did. I grabbed it and I was reading through it. And I, I'm, I've always been kind of interested in child development. And at, I don't know if I read this before or after I took some child development classes um, because I took some of those in high school and found them super interesting. And then I actually went to nanny school a couple of years later and learned even more. But anyway, as I read through this book, I had worked with children enough to completely understand what these people were saying about children and their development and why it's actually better for them to start out slowly and why it's better for them to be home and why their biggest influence in the younger years should mainly just be the family. And so it was just, it resonated with me so much. So um, I want to share with you some of the most impactful parts of the book So one of the things that he starts out talking about is uh, in the third chapter, he talks about some common fears and questions. And one of the things that he says, um, because he's talking about preschool and how it's just sort of, you know, it's, it's trendy, it's popular, it's always been popular to put your kid in preschool. And he's, he's, saying that they're, you know, parents are concerned because they want to make sure that their kids get a good start, which is, you know, it's a great it's a great motivation, but it's important to educate ourselves in the development of children to really decide if that's actually the best plan for them. And so this is what he had to say. Children are the happiest when they are busy and keeping them busy should not be a matter for concern. Much of a child's busyness will be accomplished on his own. Much of it will come from the child's questions and curiosity. The parent's goal should be to respond to the child's questions in a patient, consistent, and constructive way. I'm going to stop here for just a second because what I love about what he's saying here is you're seeing here an engaged parent who is spending time with their child. They're, They're walking alongside of them. So the parent's goal should be to respond to the child's questions in a patient, consistent, and constructive way. Forget about the pressures of achieving. Cultivate the idea of being happily child-centered for the child is important. Now, let me just take a quick break, a little side road, because some of you may hear that child-centered phase or phrase and think, oh my goodness, I don't want my my home to be child-centered. No, we don't. But what we're doing is we're parenting full-time. I think that's really what he's trying to say is we are engaged with these children and they are busy and they need us. They need our direction. They need us to understand them. We They need us to help them take that energy and put it into a constructive um, direction, but also allow them time and space to be creative and to do things on their own, like building forts and digging in the mud and playing outside and riding their bikes. So take advantage of your child's motivation of the moment. Be happy that he is curious and try to go along with his curiosities whenever you can. You hear that? Whenever you can. It doesn't mean the child is running the show. It just means let's 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 move with this child. They're so much fun, especially in those early years. They're curious about everything. And we as parents get to rediscover the world through fresh eyes. And it is such a blast. And it's such a blast to watch their little, uh, the little gears going in their heads. They're, they're constantly thinking all the time and they're learning all the time. 
And he goes on to talk about how he doesn't believe preschool is the best place for children. And one of the things that he says is there is considerable support for the notion that for most children, the preschool is not the best place, is not the best for social purposes, because a lot of times that's why parents send their kids to preschool. The young child needs a free but somewhat protected environment. He should not be subjected to undue excitement or competition until he develops the ability to reason consistently and until he has reached a level of maturity at which he perceives well and begins to see his environment in a less selfish perspective. Until then, he cannot see another's point of view. This applies even when he is at home, although the demands of school often induce more selfishness than generosity in the social life of a five or six-year-old. And such selfish attitudes generally limit his sociability. So do you see what's going on there? The opposite is happening. So we want them with us because we've talked about this before. Character training is what we're focusing on in these early years. We're teaching them to be outward focused, to be other oriented, because it's not how they come to us. They come to us consumed with themselves because God says we are born selfish. We're born selfish and sinful. So we as parents are the ones to train them in a much better direction, in a biblical direction. So that requires that we spend a lot of time with them. So he talks about some common fears and questions. Then in chapter five, he talks about developing attachments. I thought this was really interesting. From birth, a child relates to his world as he learns about it, and he learns about it as it in turn responds to him. He learns with sureness and accuracy or with a hazy confusion, depending upon the people and the things around him. He learns from warmth, consistency, and love and opens as a flower in the sunshine to whatever new experience or knowledge may come his way. Or he learns from coldness, irritability, and neglect and closes his mind and feelings against further hurt. He rejects those who have already rejected him. And this can happen a lot in a school setting. He goes on to say, personal success for the child, including his later achievement and adjustment in school, depends to a large degree upon a stable, predictable, consistent, early environment. A child needs a secure base from which to explore. He becomes self-reliant as he realizes that he can rely on others and that the important people and basic things in his world are not always changing. This is why the child should not suddenly be left in group situations. He should be allowed to become acquainted with new people and places gradually while maintaining a consistent sound basic attachment at home. Yet early schooling proponents suggest taking the normal child from his natural and most secure habitat, the home, at the critical period between three and eight years of age and requiring him to establish a whole new set of relations. All right, and the thing that's interesting as he goes on to talk, he talks about this relationship between the parent and child, this warm, responsible relationship on a consistent basis is the best foundation a young child can have, not only for later schooling, but also for social development. And then he goes on to to explain his argument for that. And I just found that it just resonated with me so much. We don't really want to put our kids on a bus and send them to school. So many moms struggle with that. And I think, you know what? There's a reason. 
there's a reason. This is your mom instinct that God has put in you to keep that child with you. And so I love the argument that Dr. Moore makes. And I don't think I've actually given a background on them. Dr. Raymond and Dorothy Moore are what I call highly educated educators. So he was, um, I think he was the dean of some colleges. Um, They traveled all over the world. They homeschooled their two children in the 1970s. So all this education on education led them to write these books that they've written. Um, This one specifically is kind of what I would call the foundational book that they've written. And so I just love so much of what they have to say. Um, He goes on and talks about the time and the senses. He talks about learning to reason, um, comparing early and late starters. That's a super interesting chapter because we think that if we don't start them early, they're going to fail, but that actually the opposite is true. And he gives a really great argument for that. Then in the second part of the book, um, so he goes from comparing late and early starters into comparing home and school costs. That's That can be a concern for some. Then he goes on in the second part of the book to go through birth through to 18 months and then four to seven years old, which I'm going to read a little bit. Um, I'm sorry, it's birth to 18 months. And then he goes to uh, through one to ages one to three. And then he goes from four to seven. And that's the chapter that I want to read a few little parts out of it. Oh, two and a half to five. Sorry. (laughs) You guys are probably like, what is she doing? She's jumping all over the place. It's true. It's true. So birth to one, one to three, and then two and and then I don't know why he does two and a half to five, but I'm sure there's a reason. And then... He goes into age four to seven. And I want to pull some things out of that chapter because that's typically when we start thinking about um, beginning school with our kids. And so the thing I love about each of these chapters on these age groups is he goes through reactions that may be expected, the needs of the age that particular age group, play things, things that are good and healthy for them to play with, activities and opportunities. Um, And then, and that's it. So I'm going to go through chapter, uh, the chapter on ages four to seven and share just a couple of things with you that were really impactful to me because we often want to, we're so anxious to get reading with them. Like they need to start reading and they need to start doing it right away. Now, one of the reasons I took a slow, unhurried approach was because of what Dr. Moore had to say about eyesight. And here's what he had to say. His eyes are not yet ready for much near work. He actually has a tendency to be farsighted at this age for his eyes are relatively shallow in depth, not yet mature in either size or shape, and the eyeballs and eye lenses are still quite plastic. Nearsightedness may develop if he does much close work, watches television a great deal, or stays inside where he cannot habitually focus at some distance. Although his eye-hand coordination is steadily improving. He is not yet ready for systematic writing. His large muscles are still better developed than his small ones, although by the time he's about eight, his small muscles 
will be much improved. About the age of four or five, he clearly shows a preference for left or right hand. Normally, you should make no effort to change this. Um, The child is very active and cannot be expected to stay still or maintain attention for long periods. The capacity for longer periods of quiet and attention is increasing, however. So I thought that was so interesting about the eyesight. And so the whole book really just focuses on taking a slow approach to schooling and really not, you know, really... um, diving in more fully until they're closer to eight years old. And he makes an argument, many arguments throughout the whole book for that. So that was sort of the basis for how I started out homeschooling. And so after I read this book, what I walked away with was the freedom to approach book work slowly, only as my kids were ready. And even then understanding that we didn't have to work at breakneck speed because that is not how learning works. There is an ebb and a flow to it. And often kids know best when and if they're ready to learn something. So instead of trying to force the adult version of education on our kids, I let them do much of the leading and adapted our conversations and activities toward that. Eventually, this made me much more comfortable with simply doing our thing and not being concerned about timelines. Because I watched my kids, you guys, that should be the the most important thing to you, not what other people are saying, not what the quote unquote experts are saying, but how are your kids responding to what you're doing with them? Are they thriving? Does it seem to be breathing life into them? Are there tweaks that need to be made? This is an on, these are ongoing questions that we ask ourselves as homeschooling moms to gauge how we're doing when it comes to homeschooling. And that is a purpose-driven homeschooling rather than a performance-driven. In fact, I did an episode on this uh, several episodes ago on um, homeschooling, purpose or performance. And I think um, it may have been further back than that. If I, if I can find it, I will put the link in the show notes. But the point is what we want is we want purpose in our days. We want purpose in our homeschooling. When our kids are learning to unload the dishwasher, that is part of their education. They're learning organizational skills, hand-eye coordination, following directions, timeliness. This is all part of their education. So we need to make sure that we're not underestimating the value of just living real life with our kids and keeping up our households and our yards. Because I think that a lot of moms find themselves really heavily in the in the throes of homeschooling and the house kind of begins to fall apart and the meals don't get planned well or on time. And that needs to be a priority. And the kids can help with that. I did a, a an episode just recently on how much we should expect our kids to help around the house. And so I'll put that link in the show notes as well. But my point is that as I took this unhurried approach and I saw our kids thriving using that approach, it worked for every single one of them it did eventually make me much more comfortable with simply doing our thing because they were thriving and that was the most important thing to me. And I was less concerned about timelines and other people's expectations. Not that I never worried, not that I never got concerned, um, but it was, this book brought a lot of freedom for me. And another thing that Dr. Moore shared at one point, I don't know if it was in this book or not, um, but I remember reading it and I'm 90% sure it was him who said this, but he said that, 
everything our kids need to learn for higher learning, in other words, for high school and college, can be learned in two years. When I realized that, it took the pressure off. And I and I also realized when he when I that that when I grasped that and wrapped my head around it, I realized how many concepts are reviewed and repeated throughout the elementary years, often either because there's been a long summer off. And so we've got a review and it takes a couple months to get the kids up to speed or it's reviewed because the topic being taught was of zero interest to the child. So they don't retain it. So I remember when um, I had six kids, nine and under, having a super hard time getting even four days a week in and realized that three days was all we could actually realistically do. That was what was sustainable for us. And I think that's an important word to keep in mind. We have to do what is sustainable for the season that we're in. I think I have a link in the show notes on that or sorry, an episode that I've done on that, that I will try to also link in the show notes. But there was a point at which I just had to say, I need to be happy with the three days a week. And once I did that, I started noticing how much our kids were learning from taking care of their younger siblings, helping out with them, helping me with dishes and and meals and, you know, sweeping after we ate and wiping the, having these chores to do. And that's another thing he talks about in this um, book is he talks about how incredibly confident and almost businesslike our children can become at these ages when they're four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, because they see that the that they are they're part of an important family machine. And they are an important part of that. And they must be thinking about others and they must be doing the things that are required of them to do because the family needs them. And this is such a wonderful, wonderful foundation to lay for our younger children. So my other struggle, besides the th- only the three days a week, which I did get over, and eventually we could do more after that when the kids got older, But the history and science, I could not seem to fit history and science in. And so I asked myself this question, how much do I remember of science and history from the elementary years? And you know what I, the answer was only what I was interested in. So at that point, I became very comfortable with the idea of allowing our kids to do science and history as they were interested. Uh, So an interest led version, pretty much that was it no formal curriculum. Now, this doesn't fly for every family. It isn't for everybody, but it was perfect for our family. And then when they got into high school, they definitely did a more formal version of science, a more formal version of history. But they had all these little experiences throughout their elementary years of things that they were interested in and were allowed to pursue um, in science and history related topics that they could connect with the things that they were learning in their formal education as high schoolers. And so, I mean, it was not like they weren't learning any science or history in elementary school. It just wasn't a formal version of it. And so we would watch Magic School Bus, Kratz Creatures, um, uh, Liberty's Kids. I left really good books laying around. Things like, you know, what did people wear 
in different periods of history. The girls loved those. The Usborne books were great for that. So how things work, you know, when they told me they were interested in, uh, you know, volcanoes, well, we could watch videos on volcanoes. We could we could create a volcano. And sometimes I would pick up little science kits cheap at yard sales that were just unused or little things that they could just experiment with. And that's how we did history and science through the elementary years. And, and that comfort, uh, being comfortable with being with doing that, a lot of it was rooted and grounded in this book, Better Late Than Early. In fact, I would, I would honestly say that my book, The Unhurried Homeschooler, is a fantastic synopsis of my takeaways from this book, Better Late Than Early, and how they translated into everyday life in our homeschooling journey. So if you haven't read that book, um, it's a simple, mercifully short book. I think it's about 60 pages. It's a less than two hour read. You probably could read it in an hour and a half, depending on how quick you are. And so it's really uh, just a great flyover, again, of what I learned from Better Late Than Early, how I implemented it, what it looked like in everyday life in our homeschooling journey. And at the very beginning of this podcast, when I first started several years ago, I actually went through each chapter of that book and expounded on it. So if you want even more on that, you could listen to those episodes and I'll include those in the show notes as well. Now I will say this, in the middle of all of it, did I know for sure that this was all going to work out, that these kids were going to be okay? I did not. I had no idea. All I know is that I had to do what every homeschooling mom has to do, and it's to learn to trust the instincts and the desires that God puts in our hearts for our kids pray over everything and then trust, just trust, cling to him so we can actually enjoy this journey with our kids. And if, I just don't know if I had never done that, if I would have enjoyed the journey with our kids as much as I did. Um, so I, I say this is definitely a book to read through. Again, the the studies and all that are old, but I still think that they are most, for the most part, applicable because kids don't change. So there's a question that I asked myself that I want to leave you with that really helped me hone in on what was my instinct? What was my desire for my children? And it was this question, if there was no one else to tell you how to homeschool your kids and fear was not even in the picture, what would you want to do with your kids? Think about that, pray about it, ponder it, and ask the Lord for wisdom to see if possibly you need to make some tweaks to your homeschooling to make it the enjoyable journey that I believe God intended for it to be. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the books that you bring into our lives, the things that change us, that you use to transform us and to lead us and to guide us and to give us wisdom and help make us wiser women of God. Lord, thank you for better late than early. Thank you for Dr. Raymond and Dorothy Moore who spoke so counterculturally, especially in the 70s. Thank you for their voice. Thank you for using them. And Lord, I pray that every mom that's listening 
would you would bring back to her mind the things that really resonated with her. And I pray that as she asks herself that question, if there was no one else to tell her how to homeschool and fear wasn't a factor, help her to know exactly what she would want to do with her kids. And Lord, would you give her wisdom to know how to walk that out? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before you all take off, um, I need to remind you that we are all aware that the world is noisier than ever before, crammed full of information, opinions, and claims about what's true. The need for our teens to be able to think critically is at an all-time high, but the unfortunate reality is that critical thinking skills amongst teens and young adults are at an all-time low. My friends at Excel College are passionate about reversing those statistics and they're doing something about it. Excel College hosts a summer leadership camp where young leaders learn to discover God's truth, discern wisely and live wholeheartedly and have fun doing it. With thrilling adventures like camping, rock climbing, and whitewater rafting, and expert training and certifications in categories from CPR to wilderness first aid, your teen will have the experience of a lifetime as they adventure into truth. Apply now at the excelcamp.org and select Dorinda Wilson for $100 off the camp. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Have a great day, moms. 